Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that's been trying to tell them that they have no idea how high this goes. This week on Heart and Hand, the most discussion about Dallas since who shot JR. So welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar. I'm your host as always and I'm joined this week by two of the legit heavyweights of Heart and Hand, one literally and one figuratively. First of all, the delectable Mr Cameron James Bell. David, pleasure to speak to you as always. And uh, joining us from our tactics show uh, over on the Patreon site, it's Tactics Spod himself, Mr Adam Thornton. Hello guys, how are we doing? Not too bad. So to Saturday, gentlemen, um, Rangers taking on St Mirren at Ibrox. Uh, first of all, before we go into what uh, has been, I'm sure, the reward of prayers from many in the media because it's given them four days worth of shite to talk about, uh, let's just caveat everything by saying St Mirren are fucking awful, Adam. They are, and I think that's been lost in the in the fury that they are very, very bad and very much going down. I would be shocked if if that isn't the case. Uh, I mean, they are the worst team I've seen in the SPFL this year. They are atrocious. Rangers would have beaten them regardless. Uh, it just was never going to happen. So I think that that, that has been lost in the Fiore, and I think it's allowed them to kid themselves on, Cammy, that, oh, if it wasn't for all these penalties. No, no, trust me, you were always getting beat. You are shite. Yeah, and, and I think... Um... The shame is that, uh, and, and we will obviously come on to it, but in the second half, their keeper made some absolutely outstanding saves. It sounds bizarre that he's walked off, <laughs> probably their best player, but having conceded four goals. Um, and it could have been a lot more. And um, I, I think his he's defence in front of him have done him absolutely no favours whatsoever. But yes, they are honking. Rangers went in with the diamond uh, that uh, we've been playing off and on in recent weeks, uh, going with a, a 4-4-2 diamond, changing to a 4-4-2 in the second half with wingers. Um, when, and that seemed to, to get us a little bit more in terms of attack. Now, a couple of things. Adam, the manager, uh, made the changes. I, first of all, think that the 4-4-2 or diamond or whatever, or any formation change is beginning to become a bit of a thing in the minds of Rangers fans. And while I would agree that we've certainly looked better in 4-3-3, we've played 4-3-3 plenty and looked awful. I think that there's nothing wrong with experimenting. I just feel that slightly some people are saying that, or are beginning to think, oh, no, no, all other formations are wrong. We've got to play this way. And I'm not sure that we've been good enough playing the 4-3-3 for that to be the case. It's a comfort blanket, isn't it? People point to... The games that we did very, very well uh, with a 4-3-3, Celtic, Maribor, Rapid Vienna, Hearts twice, and think, well, that worked really well in those games. Why can't we just play it all the time? But they forget the games where we did nothing and crossed the ball 
insane amounts of times against Dundee, Hamilton. There's a the song there, but I'm not going to go for it. Right, <laughs> Le- okay. Livingston away. Um, so there's been good and bad. I, I think it's probably fair to say it's been equal measures, good and bad. However, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that we can A, change formation and B, get more attacking players in the offensive third, which is something we struggle with. And and to me, the Kelly game was absolutely the wrong time to do it. That's twice this season he's introduced a new formation against a team that I don't think it's very well suited to. Um, however, Cowden Beath on uh, midweek last week uh, and this game, to me, are games where we don't need to dominate the centre of the pitch as much because, as you said, they are absolutely crap St Mirren therefore it was a bit of an opportunity for us to play two up front kind of try and lose that or not lose that midfield battle but we're not going to get swarmed in midfield and and basically go for teams and try and get an early goal and and hammer them the way that we we should the 4-3-3 is probably built more for suffocating teams or the way that we play it for being reactive and and countering teams Mm. you couldn't counter St Mirren they they were like it's impossible so the one example I'll go back to is the Dundee game. They were they were just as as poor as Dundee. I felt offensively. However, what Dundee did was they sat so deep that the four three three just got totally nullified. So yeah, I'm I'm seeing a lot of that. We should switch back. It's a comfort blanket. Let's go back to four three three. But I, I think we need to look at each game in isolation and decide what the best approach is for each game. There are games that four three three will be perfect, like Aberdeen and Wednesday for me. And we'll come on to that. But in other games, it's only natural to want to get a bit more offensively. Certainly, Cammy, against a team of the quality of St Mirren at Ibrox, I'm not going to complain about having one less defensive midfielder to get in one more striker. No. Um, I'll remind you both um, that given the Ferrari that we're about to talk about, we'll have plenty of listeners from the other side of the city. So I'd ask you both to keep your sectarianism to an absolute minimum. All right, okay, but what is, what is a minimum, though? Um, I mean, right, say it's a 60 minute show. 10, 12 minutes? At least 57 minutes worth of absolute chanting and singing of, of songs that would probably get you a weekend there. Right, okay. um, I think against teams like St Mirren, you, listen, you're absolutely right, you can play, I think, around your formation. Um, I, I don't ever disagree with Adam when he's right, because you need to be able to use your resources, you need to be able to use your players and the formations that suit them best, and, and obviously I think the correct thing to do was to drop Kandias. We didn't have to go gung-ho against St Mirren. We could play with a diamond that, to, to cause and effect, worked. I mean, I, I, the penalty decisions aside or whatever else as well, it could very very possibly be argued you have to be able to get into offensive positions in order to be awarded a penalty. So therefore, I, I'm perfectly happy with, with them being able to trial things like that because St Mirren won't be Hibs, they won't be Hearts, they won't be Aberdeen where you have to use a slightly more pragmatic, more proven formation and use your resources accordingly. So no, I'm happy with it. When he when he starts getting mental and playing three at the back with a hexagon and one up top, then maybe we'll have to have another conversation about it. Um, but for games like Saturday, it was perfectly fine to be able to do that and and potentially do some tinkering, potentially get players used to that that system etc as well so no I was I was happy with it and David just to kind of follow on from Cammy's point there I think <clears throat> I've seen a bit of complaints online about how we, the midfielders that we have we, we don't feel are suited to a four um, I think that's potentially right in terms of the the wider two our field 
probably is suited to that. He maybe does his better work further forward, and again, Davis maybe does his better work further back. But it's kind of less about them. Um, it, it's kind of more about, like we said, they're getting Kent centrally and, and causing havoc as he did on on Saturday and, and getting Defoe and Morelos in there and, and allowing Tav and Barisic to go further forward than they have been without kind of getting... I know they work quite well with a partner, as we've seen, but mm. allowing them free reign. So it's almost as if, if the midfield can, can just get get through it and, and not cause anything. You've got McCrory sitting there, the midfield too. You really just need them as ball carriers to, to get forward. But it's more about the other benefits it gives to the team outside of that, for me. Yeah, that, there is no perfect formation for us that suits everybody. There are certain things in each one that you go like, well, if we play with Kandias in front of Tav, I think that makes Tav a lot more solid, for example. Yep. I would counter that and say, when you're playing St Mirren, that really shouldn't be, at Ibrox, that shouldn't be your number one concern. You know, yep. um, protecting your fullback. So it's different things for different games. I think it does go back to a point you made right at the start of the show, Adam, which was there are times and places. And had the gaffer gone in four three three against Kelly, four three three against Livingston, tried the time in the last two games, everyone would have understood. I think it was the fact that he tried a new formation at Kelly. Had it worked, he'd have been a genius. It didn't work. He gets criticism, and such is the life of a professional football manager. But back to the game, it barely started when some really good link up play. Cami, really good link-up play between Alfredo and Jermaine Defoe, which was very heartening to see when uh, Alfie, who was excellent all day, Barry shooting, but had a tremendous game overall, uh, he did what he does so well, which is just batter through the opposition defence wide, cut inside, played the ball back to Jermaine Defoe, who took a touch and was summarily halved by the St Mirren defender. I don't think there's much doubt about this one. Well, there's not. and I'm just I'm so pleased that Michael Stewart agreed that this was a penalty because you know, since watching it on Saturday afternoon, I mean, I've lost, you know, two nights worth of sleep until I got to hear, uh, you know, Michael's Michael's opinion. Uh, it's, the, it's the most blatant of all the penalties. Um, I, I'm not too sure about the St Mirren lad. I know that following, obviously, on in terms of some of the reviews, I think that that's a, um, he's a player who's, who's kind of prone to making some of these mistakes just because I think he's a bit younger and it was a bit of a daft challenge. And listen, do you know what? It, it happens. We've just, you know, mentioned Ross McCrory. He's done not dissimilar in his in his past before, uh, but again, Morelos makes the absolute difference here, and thankfully um, seems to be playing a bit well with uh, a bit better with others. I think is probably the best way that I can kind of describe that because he can come in and he can absolutely, you know, ragdoll any defender, whether it's centrally or on a wing, and as soon as he comes in, lifts his head up as well. He starts looking for options and Defoe's feet so quick moves away from the defender and, and, he, and he calls the defender into making that challenge, which he duly does. Yep, man. Uh, excellent uh, penalty from James Tavernier, as always, puts it away. And then Rangers, Adam, a, a phrase I used at the weekend and I stick by it, it was almost as if St Mirren had lulled us into a, a true sense of security because Rangers, having scored so early, I think didn't quite get up to the manager said afterwards that he felt that in the first half they were sloppy. And to be honest, it was almost like it was too easy. And that's a trap we've got to avoid. You can do that when you're 3-4 up, but get 3-4 up first. Uh, It was almost like Cowdenbeath on Wednesday that they switch off. And in the first half, they just could not really get anything going in that opening 30 minutes. Yeah, it's as a wise man says on these uh, these pods, the most important goal is, is getting the second goal, and that Damn just uh, we're saying that, that to young James and Stewart walking <laughs> into the ground, so we've got to get the second. But it's true because you're right. Uh, 
it can go it can go either way in these games for us. We get the first goal early doors and that's the catalyst for us to go on and, and give teams a, a pasting. However, sometimes we get it and we do get a little bit flat and we get lulled into not believing our own hype but thinking, well, we got the first goal, great. We struggle to get the first goal sometimes, but really, we want to kill it off. And you're right, there was a couple of decent bits of play, but nothing really overall until the second uh, penalty, I should say. I was going to say second goal there, but the second penalty. Um, I think actually, the, just to go back to the first one a little bit, um, Defoe actually takes quite a poor touch um, when, when Morelos plays the ball in, which I think maybe gives, is it Air, Airhan on? Or, or Airhan, I'm not sure what the St. Marin guys... I think it's the Airhorn that sounds a bit like Airhorn. Right. Um, so I don't know if that maybe gives him a little bit of hope, but as, as Cammy said, um, the second touch just takes it away from him, and it's it's so, so blatant. Um, and yeah, up until that, that second penalty, we, we did kind of, as you say, believe our own hype a little bit. Yeah, huffed and puffed a wee bit. But then the second penalty was given, uh, another foul on Jermaine Defoe. Not a lot in it, although I would say that at the time I thought it was an absolute stonewaller. Uh, since then, there's been a bit of controversy with uh, Steve Clark for some reason. I couldn't quite figure that out either. Uh, saying that he thinks Jermaine Defoe should be banned for diving, despite the fact that Jermaine Defoe doesn't scream for the penalty, doesn't go down heavy, just instantly bounces back up and tries to get on with the game. Cameron, you're a, a qualified SFA ref. Um, who's right and who's wrong in this? Do you think I'm honestly ever going to agree with Steve Clark? I um, hope not. No, it's, it's not. So it's not a penalty. Um, and I'm going to be controversial. It's not a penalty and it's not simulation. You can have contact within a box and go down and not receive a booking or be awarded a penalty. It's, See, this is this is a really good very point. possible. Yeah, that's a really good point, Cammy, and I want you to, to take a minute or two and expound on that for people because I think that we are sometimes force fed by the commentators. Um, Danny Murphy's particularly bad for it. Oh well if he's not given a penalty, he's got to book him. No, he doesn't. And could you explain to people exactly what you mean by that? It's a really good point. The idea basically is that if you're looking to be able to try and do simulation, it's to be able to try and, and gain effectively an unsporting advantage. Um Typically, so within my experience within this, um, this is where when you're looking at contact and when you're looking at what's obviously happened, I don't care what anyone says, a referee has one viewpoint, one angle, one opportunity to be able to make that decision. And actually for me, when I've been in that position, I have looked at the player's reaction, the, 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 you know, the striker typically, the striker's reaction, because... What you'll see is a lot of professionals who will do it and then immediately look towards the referee because they're looking to see what the decision the referee is about to give. Defoe, when he gets, when he gets, I don't even want to say tackled, but when he gets impeded, is probably a better description. As soon as he goes to deck, he immediately tries to get back up for it. He's not, he doesn't. You couldn't tell Jermaine Defoe where the referee was at that point because he's not even interested in looking at him. He's trying to recover the ball and he's trying to go back to it. Um, so you you can get scenarios like that. It's very it's very possible. It doesn't mean that it's a binary, either it's a penalty or it's a yellow card, because you can't have that. It's a contact sport, um, and you can stop a player, you can touch him, you can stop him, you can jockey him. Just because a player happens to go to ground does not immediately mean that it's it's a foul there for a penalty. So it, it's it's not it's not a penalty. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, of of the four, this for me is probably the 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 one that I think had the most amount of replays and most amount of scrutiny. Um, from the various media outlets, um, and for me, I would say no, it's not. It's not a penalty. It's not a simulation either. Uh, James Tavernier steps up, and I'll admit, Adam, right, being a, a kind of middle-aged Presbyterian Scottish man, and all that that entails, that I had 
Not at this particular penalty, but just in general, I've thought with Tav, he's in such a good run. He's bound to miss one sooner or rather. You know, he's 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 gone so far with this that he can't just keep scoring. And I was worried it would come in a big game. So if he had to miss one, this was probably the time. Sends the keeper the wrong way, but unfortunately it clips the post. Makes up for it in the second half. Uh, if he had to miss one, I suppose this was the perfect way to do it because he's missed one, it didn't matter, and he got back in the horse straight away. He did. Um, I'll come on to my, my views on the, the third and fourth. And, and I'm sure Cammy will talk us through the, the actual legitimacy of all other fouls, etc. But in terms of the whole who's taking the penalty thing, um, we'll come on to that a bit later. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's kind of unforgivable, this one, because the, he sends the goalkeeper the wrong way just about, I think, before he hits it. Yeah, and, and to not just roll into that corner, um, but take a bit of a heavier touch. Is... See, as you say there, um, you're right, because... We all saw the keeper had gone the wrong way, but there was yep. still time to wait for the ball to no. the post. Your, right, your, the pro- your problem, your problem with that though was that Tab's in a really difficult position. It's a horrible position for players who take penalties to take two in the same game, Aye. because what the keeper, what the keeper has has done is gone on the assumption that he won't change um, from the first penalty. And and again, if you if you rewatch the first and second penalties, um, the keeper makes the assumption Tab will put it in exactly the same place as he did with the first. So you're in that horrible coin toss of, do I just do the same thing and hope that the keeper thinks I'm going to do something different or do I do something different and hope he thinks I'm just going to keep it in the same place? It's actually a really horrible situation for players to be in within the same game. There's a simple way around that, Cammy, which is then you have a policy that nobody hits two penalties a match. Yeah. Mm, And I think Tav's done it before and he's pretty, as he showed with the third, I think he's pretty confident. I, I don't have a problem with a guy going up because I think that for skillful penalty takers, i.e. rather than just hitters and hopers, that they have a feeling that if they hit a good penalty, you know, the penalty that they train to hit, because I think we've moved past this old-fashioned thing of, oh, you can't practice penalties. Of course you bloody can. And I think that there's just a thing, if I put the penalty where I want to put it, I will score. Um, But, you know, it happens. He's an inch away from an absolutely perfect penalty. But... Half time, we bit flat round the round the stadium, um, and into the second half, the Rangers did improve, made a substitution quite quickly, and it's an interesting one because Adam, I have raved and raved and raved about Ross McCrory the last few weeks. I think deservedly so, but he was taken off after fifty-seven minutes after a pretty disappointing game. In all honesty, Ryan Jack came on and, and I thought played played the role much better. It's such an interesting one because Ross McCurry, I think, is a brilliant player. But again, it might be the horses for courses thing. And strangely enough, he might be better in games when we don't have the ball. And we had a live show at Ibrox on Friday night with Kevin Thompson, now a coach at Ibrox. But Kev said to us, he's one of the best young players he's seen without the ball. And he just has to improve with the ball. So matches against Celtic, Aberdeen, etc., where they're real hell for leather affairs. He is ideal. You just don't have him in your team. But days where you don't quite need that as much and you do need people with more composure in the ball, at this stage of his career, might not be his game. I think that's fair. I think he he did have a poor game. Um, And he just got booked uh, as well. So maybe there was a little bit of that involved. But I I think you're right. I also don't think that that two-man midfield, a two-man central midfield that we went to, I I don't think he's mature enough as as a midfielder to... To play that personally, I know we were two, two nil up, etc. But I, I'm not sure he's quite got that 
positional sense. He's, he's very good off the ball, as you said, in terms of breaking things down and, and feeding counter-attacks, etc. But in terms of forcing the play and, and threading a pass through, there are other players who can do that. And like you said, Jack, come on and, and had a better game um, from that respect. I, I'm starting to... Yeah, you're right. Different horses for courses is, is absolutely fine. I'm starting to think it's maybe more about how we approach or, or what... what what players we play, I'm talking particularly in the midfield, if, if we play more attacking players like, like Davis, or even at times if we have Kent in there in, in a midfield three, who literally has been told to bomb forward and, and do kind of what Rogic does for, for Celtic, just get forward, no defensive capabilities, but create another avenue. Um, if, if we look at that midfield three in a different way, rather than what we've pretty much done this season, right, which is we're going to have a sitter, a passer, and a box-to-box Um we we kind of try and shove people into those positions. Jack's done the sitter role. Koulibaly's done it. Koulibaly's been the box-to-box. Jack's been the box-to-box. Davis has been the passer. We we kind of have these three defined roles that don't really suit many of them. So if it's maybe just ways of getting more attacking players into the team by having a midfield feel like that, then I think you're right. I think someone like McCrory might be able to sit out of, of, of these type of games and come in for the, the kind of bigger ones where there's more pressure on the defence. I think well, um, sorry, there's, there's an inter- sorry, buddy. There's an interesting point that um, when you talk about McCrory that my friend Kevin Thompson made on uh, on Friday, which was I'm I'm not sure he said you were his friend. He, he did. He did. He said I was his friend. He said, <laughs> no, he said I was his friend. No, Cammy. He, he said more, more than, than one you. occasion. Me and Davy. And he, how many times he say I? It's like I said to Davy the other day. How many times he say that? I counted seven. That's how many times I counted because we're friends and we, we well, tweet. I, you know, I, I tweet, I tweet well, as well. Do you know what I mean? No, well, we, te- we text. You don't have his number. I've got his number. No, I stand outside his house. So, well, that is, um, but this idea of potentially dropping McCrory back and putting him into the into the back four for uh, for certain games, I don't think that's a bad idea whatsoever. Um, the reason being is because um, what's interesting about McCrory is when you say that he's able to read the play. Sometimes where he can do basic passing, he can do do some short range passing. What would be quite interesting and would be able to see if you've got guys like Kent and Kandatis, even even potentially using them more in a 4-3-3, but using guys like that where McCrory can then at least put the ball forward to them. So he's going to hit it maybe 40, 50, 60 yards for something for them to be able to try and run on to. It, it starts to enhance that side of his game, um, which at the moment just now I think is pretty difficult for him to do within the midfield because it feels very uh, contained, feels very tight. Um, maybe moving him back a bit gives him a wider spectrum to be able to try and do that. That could be something which, at some point, you know, Gerard might want to be able to try and experiment with. And games like St Mirren are, are good opportunities to do that. And both of your best friend Kevin Thompson also said on on a Friday night that he thinks he will eventually move back to be a centre half. Um, and that was something that I'd called it a couple of weeks ago on, on the tactics pod as well. That I could see that. I don't think he's anywhere near it just now and his best position just now is defensive mid. But as he gets closer to his mid-20s or maybe even a bit later, I could probably see him taking a step back and being that kind of ball-playing centre half who brings it out and pings those passes, as, as Cammy said. Now, at 1-0 after an hour, there was some murmuring started to go around Ibrox and the angry man in my section... Uh, was was very upset by this stage, and uh, every every was that, second... was that was that Martin? No, no, it was. I mean, we were talking about this actually at the game because I came in and I said, "Oh, I've got this guy in my section," and a couple of a couple of the boys from the pod said, "Oh, I've got a guy like that in my section." So I asked a few friends, and it turns out everyone has an angry guy in their section. Um, 
a guy who just right from the start, oh, fuck's sake, man, this is fucking terrible. I can't believe the phrase that I got into that is, I can't believe I pay to watch this shite. And I'm like, <laughs> yep, okay. that came, that came at two nothing actually, but uh, at one nil he was positively apoplectic, and you're just like, dude, calm, calm down, you know. I've got- can't be good for your blood pressure. I've got one behind me, um, and what, what I've not actually I've not actually told you this, but the last time we sat together was the Aberdeen defeat yes. before Christmas, and you kept agreeing with the guy behind me who is annoying and, and moans everything, and you were like, "Oh yeah, he's right," and I'm like, "No, he's fucking not." But I didn't yeah. say it at the time, obviously. What that is, Adam, is that I'm quite false. Um, the reason I'm so popular, Adam, despite once you get to know me, that I'm a right cunt, is that I have an, an innate ability to read people, and therefore to play off to the, their personality and then they come away and they go, he's such a nice guy, he's such a great guy. Um, whereas in actual fact, I'm maybe thinking, what a fucking belly and that guy is. So that's all that was. <laughs> it's uh, as they used to be called, the master of puppets. Yes, that, that's basically, I, I did just, people think they've met me, that you never meet me, you meet my representative. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm inside my head in my happy place. Right? It's all, it's all, on my own. This is all good. A bit Patrick Bateman, American Psycho. It's like you just meet a shell. There is only a shell yeah, of well, David Edgar. There is nothing else inside it. it. One of my previous jobs, they made me go and see a psychiatrist after episodes, and uh, what, what she said to me was borderline sociopathic tendencies. I said, "What does that mean?" She went, "Well, it means you probably won't kill anybody, but it means that you could order it and not care." <laughs> like the Big Bang Theory when Sheldon sends a robot out and with his face on the, the computer screen, that is essentially you. Funnily enough, um, when we first watched the Big Bang Theory, Sally kept turning around me and going, you are Sheldon. And then Scott watched it and he would be texting me as he was watching the box set going, holy fuck, you are this guy Sheldon. And there's a lot of him where I think, did they steal that line off me? But anyway, on to the second Rangers goal, which did arrive via the medium of a penalty. Cross in from the right-hand side. St Mirren defender jumps with his arms in the air, quite clearly hits the ball. Referee gives a free kick initially, looks at his linesman. His lineman runs to the to the uh, edge of the box to indicate that it is a penalty. And the referee gives it. Right, this was right in front of me, where I sit at Ibrox, right? I'm in the main stand. And it was right in front of me. It looked absolutely like it was inside the box. I would have sworn, not with blue-tinted specs on, I would have sworn it was inside the box. On replay, it starts outside the box and quite clearly continues into the box. Cami, did the ref get it right? Uh, what, uh, now, I will defend, because I mean we have a go at refs and linesmen every week, and I will defend the linesman. From where he was, it would 100% look like it was in the box. So where I was, I was um, in the Copeland rear because I was using our friend Colin's ticket and it was directly in front of me as well. So I think from, because obviously I've sat in your seat in the main stand as well, David, from our direction, we must have had probably quite a right angled approach towards it um, because obviously I'm looking behind the goal, you're looking side on um, and it was in the box. I think um, your problem with that decision is the way how he's he's put his hands up whilst I, I understand to protect himself. It's just a bizarre, unnatural position for him to be able to do that. Which See, see that's cool shit about, oh, you need to put your hands up across your face when you're jumping. It's natural. No, it fucking isn't. No, but the thing is, the way how he, he kind of, he almost like bows his arms in a, a kind of uh, an inverse cradle, which more or less just kills the ball dead. And then when he lands and then the ball lands, it's it's inside the eighteen yard box. Um so I thought it was I thought it was a very good decision. I thought it was a penalty. I think the other thing is as well, because he is jumping towards 
the Copeland stand, yeah. that's what carries it into the box. So right, when he hits he's, he's it, jumping into the box, he's yeah. going backwards. And a, a line, <clears throat> sorry, a, a line I will use uh, when we come on to the next penalty decision, if it's on the line, it's in the box. And it was on the line. And as I say, his momentum certainly has taken him further forward than it's landed. But you can see where that was. And I think, um, I mean, I was screaming for a penalty time when it happened. I was that convinced it was inside the box. Um, so, no, another a, a good decision by the linesman. Um, interesting that Dallas is copping it because fundamentally it's the linesman's decision. He couldn't um, have anything else. See, from where he was stood, no, 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 no. he couldn't. And and I've I've seen it now back plenty of times. I still had him think it was a penalty. Well, that's the thing. We're we're having to see it back five and six times. That I sent the, the still to you guys, and he does start outside the box. But what I hadn't I hadn't realised on that, and as it probably comes more to the fore with the the fourth penalty, is if the fouling begins outside the box and carries into the box, then Cami, I, I don't actually realise that the ref is actually following the laws of the game if he, if he then gives that as a penalty. I just assumed wrongly that the foul originates outside starts, the box. Yeah. He, he needs to pull it back. So by that, both of those are legitimate penalties then because by the letter of the law, there is fouling happening inside the box where it starts is, is irrelevant. Mm. I, and that's I, I thought it was a penalty. Now, this is when the shenanigans begin. Um, Jermaine Defoe gets a hold of the ball, he wants to hit it. Alfredo Morelos, though, is rather insistent that he should get to hit it. Um, James Tavernier walks over and says, no, I hit the penalties, takes the ball, um, and puts himself under a lot of pressure, or, or, or had been put under pressure, because I think a lot of us in the stands were like, you missed the last one, but he put it away, no problem. However, uh, Cami, you were a bit upset with what happened in the celebrations afterwards, and uh, that uh, one player didn't celebrate. Yeah, um, so before I kind of go on to that, what I will say is absolute kudos to Tavernier for the balls that it takes to be able to to have that level of self-confidence because I'm very, very much of the opinion that had he missed that, I don't think we would have seen Tavernier take another in-play penalty for Rangers again. So the fact he's got the balls to tell Defoe and Morelos to piss off while he can have another crack at it speaks volumes for his character. Um, so, very pleased with that. What I'm pissed off about is Morelos in terms of he needs to accept his decisions and take it his way. So, there is an argument to say that if you take away the petulance, the anger, the the kind of behavioural, negative behavioural traits of Alfredo Morelos, you lose part of his character and part of his, um, his ability and certainly part of his strength. That's a very valid argument. I totally understand that. That is not what this is. There is a difference between doing that and being able to accept your captain's decision and carry on with it. And the fact that he was the only player that didn't celebrate after Tavernier scored the goal, for me, I was really disappointed in. And I know that Arfield went over to him afterwards and told him to lift his head up and all the rest of it. I don't want players, especially strikers, not to be selfish. I want them to want the ball. I want them to want that penalty. I want them to be able to do it. So I totally understand all of that. But see, when the captain's made his decision, you fucking get your big bow pants on and you grow up and accept it. And I'm sorry, but with the best will in the world, Tavernier has got every right to turn around to Morelos and say, how many goals have I set you up for this season? Yeah, I mean, even if he wasn't the captain and even if he didn't have that authority, you're still talking about one of the guys who's provided bags and bags and bags of assists for him. So as far as I'm concerned, Morelos has to accept that decision and get past it and, you know, join in with the, the celebrations of the rest of the teammates. He can't do this petted lip act when the captain 
scores a penalty after missing one and having the balls to, to make the decision to take it himself. As I say, I don't want to say that Morelos shouldn't lose the, the aspects of his character where it is about, you know, that tough fight that, you know, again, like you say, he wants the ball, he wants to be able to get it because it's absolutely who I want him to be because he's a bastard and I want him to continue being a bastard, but be a bastard to the opposition. Don't fall out with your teammates or your captain just because they've made a decision which then removes you from the thought process. I'm kind of torn on here. I, I take your point, but a couple of things, I think. Firstly, as you mentioned, I, I don't get upset at strikers wanting to... I'd be more annoyed at a striker wanting to take a corner than I am at a striker who's desperate to score a goal. I hate when strikers are taking corners. You should not want to under any circumstances. But he's 22. He's a young guy. He's quite a young 22, you know, emotionally. And, I, I, yeah, he does need to grow up a bit. And he will over the years. But... I was a little arsehole when I was 22. I was a little arsehole when I was 32. So I, I don't know. I, Adam, you, you're kind of casting vote on this one. I'm still a little arsehole, so I'm not really That's sure. True. No, I, I don't care. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't bother me uh, if he wants to. I, I don't think it was as far, as far, anywhere near as far as I've fallen out. I think he just wants to score goals and, and took the hump a little bit and I, I take Cammy's point but I also take the point of I wouldn't I don't want to do anything at all to deaden Morelos's his edge or, or his streak. So within reason, um I think that's totally fine. And um with regards to the whole debate about the penalty, um I can understand Tav not giving up the third penalty specifically. He just missed one um and had another one come along very, very quickly like that. I, I think he would want to put it right um, he showed great character to do so as Cammy said obviously with the caveat that whatever he does he's, he's still not captain material as everybody says um, with the fourth and we're going to come on to it David but can we um, just say a state for those who missed that Adam was being sarcastic there oh yeah sorry <laughs> not sure my tone came over um, yeah with, with the fourth I, 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 we're going to come on to it in terms of the actual foul for it but but just to finish that, that Tav point I can kind of get why he didn't take that one because he's, he's kind of proved what he needs to do. He's maybe not bothered about getting a hat-trick, or, or, or it's, it's a selfless it's a selfless act for him to... It's more important to him for, for Defoe to get his first Ibrox goal um, in a game that's pretty much done by that point. So so good character and great leadership, I think, on that one. Again, great leadership is, is not a quality that a captain will have. So, again, that's sarcasm. I think, uh, it's, I think it's easy for Tav to turn around and actually give that penalty to Morelos. I, I really do think it is, and as I say, I'm, I'm not I'm not decrying what Morelos brings to our game. I'm really genuinely not. I just want him, and, and I'm I'm starting to veer away from the whole. He's 22 and he's young and all the rest of it. 22 is not young in in footballing terms, you know. No, but it is in life terms, and you're talking about so him as a is, person. I, you're talking about that, emotional but, reaction, which is him as a person. It is, but the thing is, you're also talking about. Morelos is aware of the fact that we are we are building a team around him. We haven't brought in Jermaine Defoe to replace Alfredo Morelos. And Morelos knows that, plus the fact that he's just been given a new contract and all the rest of it. What I do want to be able to say to him, though, is, and where I would want to see that slight improvement within his character, is just accepting that decision and saying, right, OK, fair enough, I get it. And it would have been easy for Tav to give him the, the, the next penalty. And he, and he still made the decision to give it to Defoe, which I think was a harder decision but well played to, to James Tavernier for making it. 
Yeah, I think both of those decisions, the, the easiest thing for me to do was, was let Morelos hit the third penalty and let Defoe hit the fourth one. Um, obviously, with hindsight, you, you don't know you're getting a fourth penalty, or, or maybe we did, but um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think... I think I think those are those are two difficult decisions, and given the chance, the chance, couple of chances the had in that game, the chances he had against Cowden Beath, I think he's thought it's more important to the team for two strikers to be firing, um, and therefore we'll give Defoe his first Ibrox goal when we are two 0 up. The game is done. Unfortunately, Morelos misses out, and if he'd have given them the third one and just scored it, fair enough. However, you want to have to in the back of his mind when a penalty comes up Wednesday night or Saturday in a crucial game, you don't want in the back of his mind him thinking, fuck, I missed the last one. Yeah. Um, at least he's going into those games thinking, I missed one, um, but I, scored, I stepped up and scored, and I've also given Defoe one. So it's, it was two difficult decisions, but I think it's worked out okay, and this, I think Morelos got over it. There's probably a good... Uh, this, listen, and it's, it's a good compliment to Morelos for the fact that he doesn't give him the penalty because he thinks he's probably the most likely to get a goal from open play anyway. So, again, there's a compliment there from Morelos in the fact that he's not handing him that opportunity on a plate, you know. Penalty four. Um, really probably the one that, that has taken it into the realms of, well, you never see that, was a foul on Daniel Kandias, which, again, being honest, I burst out laughing at, at four penalties, and this one I thought was outside the box. But having seen it again, Cami on the line. And definitely a foul. Definitely a foul, bizarre decision-making process by the St Mirren player because he is behind Daniel Kandias and yet there are two centre-halves coming towards him. Um, he obviously decides that he's missed out in the Six Nations, so he decides to rugby tackle him to the ground, which is absolutely bizarre. Starts outside the box, he still has a hold of him, still has a hold of him, um, and Kandias is now within the box even before the guy has realised where he is positionally that he's going to concede a penalty. Um, and again, it's one of those ones, even if it wasn't inside, if it's on the line of the box, it's in the box, and therefore you have to give it as a penalty. What I thought was really funny about this this particular one was, I don't think the St Midland players quite realised what had happened because they had habitually started to form a wall on the edge of the 18-yard box because I mm-hmm. think that when they heard the whistle blow, they thought he'd given a free kick outside the area. He initially um, had, but again, he, he looked at the linesman, the linesman yeah. went in the box. Yeah, well, I well I didn't know that because watching it at the game, I thought he immediately pointed to the spot, but it could have been construed as a, you know, he's obviously given a free kick in that, and you know, to the team shooting in that direction. Um, so I thought he pointed straight to the spot straight away, which is why I was like, well, that, from my angle, I thought, okay, yeah, he's either in the box or just immediately outside it. And I thought, no, the referee's obviously closer to it than I am with a better angle, so he's given it as a pen. I, I thought it was, it's a clear penalty, it is a penalty. As I say, I have no idea what the hell that boy's doing, uh, holding on to Kandias when he's trying to come into it. Um, biomechanics would also suggest, apparently, if you listen to certain idiots on a uh, major sporting programme on a free-to-air channel, that Kandias upwardly dives in order to be able to get into the box, which is the most idiotic thing I think I've ever heard. When a guy's holding you by your right thigh, how the hell you're supposed to get that level of trajectory? So again, idiotic. Um, Kandias goes down as he's absolutely right to do because of the fact that guy is grappling him below the waist. Um, and yeah, absolutely correct decision. Cami Just, is is obviously the guy among us who's got most experience of a guy grappling him around the waist. Below the waist, David. Below the waist. If we're going to go to court, let's get our facts right now, shall we? If you're stolen the sheep, you might as well shag it. Adam, I thought you had a point. 
I was going to say just that on Michael Stewart there, I think it's hilarious how he's came ac- he's trying to come across as balanced by by saying the first penalty is a penalty, the next three are not, which is incorrect. The second one is not a penalty. Three and four are, are definite penalties. But he says, oh yeah, but I, I definitely think the fifth one was a penalty. Now, now whether that's a penalty or not, that's him that's just... That's the foul in Morelos. Yeah, it yeah. was a penalty. <laughs> it was, but, but... Whether it's a penalty or not, that's him That's him just saying, look how balanced I am. The one that yeah. wasn't, the one that never got was a penalty, that was a definitely a penalty. I'm so balanced when really three and four are the ones that he should be agreeing on a penalty and it's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. As Cammy said, how is it even possible when you're being held back by your thigh to then jump Leap into the, the box. No, it's, it's Michael, Michael Stewart is a moron shocker. It's uh, not not exactly man bites dog. But uh, moving on then, uh, Jermaine Defoe, we've kind of covered it. There's a bit of sclaff for the penalty, but uh, he gets it, smashes it away. And Adam, I thought Jermaine Defoe had a pretty good match, actually. The, you can see that he's still short of fitness, but it's coming. He's got two goals in three games already. And I know people will say, well, one was a tap and one was a penalty. It doesn't matter. He's off the mark confident and I was really excited leaving the ground on Saturday I thought he is going to score shitloads of goals for us because it's just what he does once he gets up to speed and I'd maybe contrast that with Stephen Davis who just hasn't gotten up to speed as of yet and had a pretty poor match ended up being subbed. Yeah I think the full first looked much sharper than, than Wednesday night and uh, if that's a difference game to game then I think we're, we're only a winner definitely. Um Lovely touches and, and layoffs. Um, there was one in the first half. He, he laid the ball off on the edge of the box very nicely. He was very unlucky not to to score as well later on. And as I'm sure we'll come to, I think his his best piece of work was was in the last goal. Um, yeah, I, I think he he's, he's looking sharp. He's looking he's he's looking well. Uh, whether he starts on Wednesday night, I, I'm not sure, or, or even Saturday. I'm, I'm also not sure. It just depends what we decide to do. I don't think anybody can really predict that at this time in, in terms of formations and lineups. And and yeah, Davis does look a little bit um, more like he's not played any football in the last year or so than than certainly the foe does. He's, he looks like he's he's struggling to get his rhythm and, and get up to speed with what we're doing. A couple of decent. Um, couple of decent moves, etc. He probably was quite unlucky not to score as well uh, in the first half in the lead up to the second penalty. I think it was. He's played a different role for for Southampton when he did play than than he's playing here. He's a little bit further forward, so maybe he's just trying to readjust himself as well. Seconds later, Jermaine Defoe plays a great ball through to the onrushing Ryan Kent, who tops off, in my opinion, a man of the match performance with a, a lovely lifted finish into the net. Ryan Kent is so good, Cammy. Uh, he can go either way. He's two-footed, he's quick, he's direct. And I think he's playing with a confidence and a freedom that, by his own admission, he hasn't had so far in his professional career. And uh, we've got to try and get this boy for at least one more year. 100%. I would I would get him at all costs. Um, the, he's just he's so fearless and dynamic when he's running with the ball. I mean, it, it's, 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 you know... Big comparisons, but when you consider some of the wingers that you and I have seen in our lifetimes, David, he's got a real opportunity to, to match, if not better, some of those guys mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Um, I think what, what's really great about Kent um, for me is he isn't one of these wingers that wants to be able to do the same thing all the time. So he's not a winger, for example, who... He doesn't have a trick. No, let's just get to the byline, let's get mm-hmm. across, and let's get to the byline, but let's come inside. Let's get to the byline and then you know, double back and then pass back to, to the fullback who might be supporting or anything like that. What he wants to be able to do is with the variety, and I think Saturday showed uh, in the first half, when obviously he does come inside, hits a, a beautiful shot with his, with his right foot, 
nice curler that obviously comes off the bar. Um, but for the fourth goal, um, and obviously, as Adam said, when, when Defoe just plays him in, beautiful pass, um, opportunity to, to open his body up, maybe curl it, look to be able to try and slightly square on with the keeper, but no, he just puts in a beautiful little dink, um, takes it away from the keeper. And, and what I will say is, uh, you know, it's the top of showing coming coming back to Defoe, that keeper had pulled out some genuine world-class saves by this point. Um, the penalties you can't really do anything with, right? So let's put that to one side for a second. But Defoe... Them were great penalties, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, though, that from open play, Defoe tested him, I mean, at least once with a fantastic dig that the keeper did really, really well to get down low to and save with his right hand. Um, so you're actually thinking... You know, his confidence might not be too bad, but Kent just absolutely gives him the eyes and then puts a wee dink over his shoulder and then, and it was just a great finish. Um, he, he's he's a great, great talent, Kent. And um, don't get me wrong, obviously, the old fun game, we're talking about it after it, that, you know, people played really well and there's a level and blah, blah, what have you. Um, but Kent looks like he's just maintaining that form week on week. Um, and he just looks like a tremendous asset for us as well. So um, I, I would absolutely do everything that we can to secure him. And I think the other good thing, and it's always interesting about loanies who come from from big, big clubs, you know, like Liverpool, obviously, that sometimes you might think, oh, I'll come up here, I'll do my time, and then I'll head back down the road and maybe I'll get like another move out, move out to a club in England or someone more local to my parent club. I think he's really, really enjoying his football at Rangers. I think he's really enjoying... Um, you know, being part of the club, being able to try and play in games such as Old Firm game, he'll enjoy Wednesday night because I'm I'm sure he's going to play in that. Um, so I, I think he I think he's quite enamoured with the club and the support and stuff as well. So if that relationship can continue to bond and we can get him longer term, absolutely get him snapped up as best we possibly can. So uh, there ends a game where uh, a referee has uh, tried to to stop Celtic winning the title. A, a referee who's so biased against them, he gave them a penalty for a foul that happened about four yards outside the box in a cup final. But uh, of course, that doesn't count. So moving on Wednesday night, Adam Rangers like uh, going up to to face Aberdeen in a live match uh, at Petaudry with a poor recent record against Aberdeen, uh, despite even throughout the last few years being quite good against them. Now. This is where the tactical discussion, I think, gets interesting because I think people are going to be screaming for the 4-3-3. However, that's kind of what we played against them previously and in the previous two matches, we were woeful. Okay, the first one, we had Sadiq up front, less said about that, the better, but we had Morelis in the second one. We're playing against 10 men for half an hour and the 4-3-3 failed to even make a chance. It's the context of the game for me. Um, like you said, the the semi-final, they're just wanting to soak up pressure and, and try and get us to extra time, even get us to penalties or, or get the winner as they as they did. Um, and the the home game before Christmas was they would be delighted to come away with a point. They went down to ten men and they sat in, and we can't break teams down, or we're not very good at breaking teams down. I think the the obvious comparison is that the first game of the season where we were excellent uh, for, for the most part but unfortunately didn't didn't kill the game and lost a, a poor goal late on however the onus is on Aberdeen to win the game really um, ourselves obviously because we always want to go in and win but they have more more to lose I think in terms of if they sit back for a draw I, I can't see them doing that at home therefore they will come out um, I would expect or, or as out as they as they ever do um, and for me 4-3-3 we're better at it now undeniably than, than we were on the first day of the season 
we can not quite sit back and pick them off, but play the game that we played. Um, either the game against Celtic where we pressed from the, from the off or maybe something like Maribor or Hearts where we just take a measured approach and, and see how they're attacking and, and try and um, hit them on the counter. Um, I, I think it really depends on what Aberdeen come to do. If they come and they're quite happy just taking a point and, and sitting in their back, sitting back in their, in their defence or they want to come out from the off will kind of dictate how we approach it and if we play to our best there's there's no doubt we can win and to echo Cammy's point I think Kent should absolutely play um, it should be the 4-3-3 for me that, that started against Celtic with um, Barisic and Katic in for uh, Goldson and Halliday um, I think Kent and Morelos are, are huge for us as, as we were talking about there they're, they're, they're the only two players that are unpredictable for us I, I guess I mean that in a positive way we've got a couple that are unpredictable in a, in a bad way but I don't think they'll be playing and they're the ones that can disrupt disrupt teams they're the ones that can play between the lines and play those passes and, and win those balls and, and get us a goal from nothing there's not many of those that can do that they're all a little bit predictable effective like like Candace and, and like Defoe for example but they're, they're predictable and they're, they're nowhere near easy to manage but when you've got two players like Kent and Morelos that can conjure things out of nothing or go each way or push the ball through your legs and make you fall over like Morelos can and it really makes a big difference in these games and I think we should go back to what we know for for this one in particular. Cammy, it's a season-defining week and I don't say that lightly because two victories and it's all to play for, two defeats in the next two matches and the season's looking like a bit of a damp squib. Um, so we, I don't think we can overstate how important these two matches are. They're huge, and um, the the problem you've got with Aberdeen is it's Rangers, so therefore it's their cup final. Do you mean it's it's always been their mentality for about thirty years? It's just who they are now as a club, and and, and obviously our presence defines what they want to be able to do. It's it's sad, really, but hey ho, that's that's obviously what we mean to them. Um, I absolutely would be playing Kent and Candias, uh with Morelos in there as well as as a kind of as a, as a sole target. Um, I think Kandias gives Tav confidence and comfort, uh, so therefore he, it makes him a better player. I want Joe Worrell that played against Celtic, not the evil brother that played against Kilmarnock. Um, th- this game on Wednesday is a really good opportunity for some of these players to show that we can't just raise our game against Celtic and then hope for the best because we'll still lose the league because we'll take our focus off of teams who are not above us. We will start to lose focus on teams who are capable of getting points off us, which they have proven. Um, so we need to go at this with a lot of intensity, which we didn't have to do against Mirren. We didn't have to do against Livingston. So therefore, we've got the opportunity to do that now. Um, what I would say as well is, in terms of the, this week is this is an opportunity for us to use February. I know we've just literally finished talking about December and how that was a season within a within a month. This next three weeks for me, whilst they are still in Europe, will be extremely interesting because now, um, Saturday was our first three o'clock kick-off, I think, on a Saturday since November. But now we're in this position where we can start to gain points and Celtic have to close a gap that we, we have shortened. They have to be able to obviously start to you know, increase that again and we pile more pressure on them to be able to do that. That's absolutely what we have to be doing. The Scottish Cup on Saturday, um, 
is, is our best chance. And I say that with a bit of deflation because the league is going to be tough. Um, and, you know, it, it's on a knife edge, the league as far as I'm concerned. But the Scottish Cup is our best opportunity now to get a major piece of silverware for the first time in a very, very long time. Um, and when you look at our progression, there's, there's marginal wins in there that we can start to get back on track. And we've done several of them so far. We've been top of the league. We've beaten Celtic in the league. We need to get a trophy to be able to... So there is absolutely no understating the importance of Saturday Saturday evening's game. So I think um, we, we need to get the players to, to shape up and we need to make sure that everyone's ready for that challenge. It's great to be able to play relatively routine games like we saw on Saturday against St Mirren, but this is when the the metal meets the meat. Yep, it's a, 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 what, a terrifying, what a terrifying vision that is, the metal meets the meat. Well, Cammy, uh, it gets up to some elaborate things. Have you ever heard of E-STEM? <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's all the rage in Livingston these days. No, not not for me, not for me. It's a bit like uh, the whole ice cubes thing. It's like, you know, where the fuck do you think you're going with Amhen? Uh, no. So anyway, uh, just about uh, that's us for this week. But we do have time for our Total Hearts and Award. That's when we look around the world of sport and see who has made the biggest dick of themselves over the past seven days with a comment or an action so stupid that it could only have come from the mind or could also have come from the mind, rather, of John Hartson. So plenty of contenders this week. It is in danger of being called the Michael Stewart Award, I must admit, because uh, the, the guy is just constantly entering it. Um, but uh, I think that, that it would be a little bit too obvious. So we'll start off with you, Cameron. Who have you selected? This is really difficult because I think most people, most social media users who, who were at Idrox on Saturday, the, the, the kind of feeling started to ripple around the ground of, I can't wait to see their reaction after this. Um, there's been there's been some absolute beauties. Um, you know our man uh, Timo Mouse, who um, uh, does get things spectacularly wrong. Um, really interesting to see about the fact that um, this was the second time that four penalties have been awarded in one game. Therefore, that's making history. <laughs> well, it's it, it's really not because it's happened before. That's history. Mm. This is now just repeating and the same thing that's already yeah, happened. History's quite that. That's generally to make history. It's generally you know first time. People don't, like, nobody knows who the 312th man on the moon was. Yeah, exactly. Um, There was another great comment where I think it was Andrew Dallas has awarded Sevco seven penalties so far in his career, uh, two in the last game and four in this game, which I I just enjoyed the the maths of there as well. Um, I think I don't want to necessarily pick Michael Stewart because I just think it's hilarious that a guy who has already been ragdolled by Craig Levine recently, still has the temerity to question every decision just for the sake of being a kind of shock jock out of the back of it. And he doesn't even have the capability to be able to try and do that. Uh, but my one my one is going to be our man, Tim O'Mouse, who said, this is making history, but it's already happened. Mm. Yeah, fair point. Adam? Seeing as Cammy picked almost every single one that I had there, I'm going to go for Steve Clark. Um, that today is mental and David I think you alluded to in the on the flagship can you imagine Gerard coming out and saying in a Hamilton versus St Mirren game or oh, giving his opinion on whether it was a penalty or not it, it's just total 
I don't even know if it, if it is gamesmanship, as, as you alluded to, um, for for the game coming up or or trying to put put pressure on the referees. I think it's just irrelevant. I think it's just sour grapes that because they got beat on on Friday night, um, that they think when he said there's an offside decision in his game on Friday, um, it was offside and it was three metres onside. But he's, he's moaning about an offside decision versus five penalties that he thinks only one's about. It's just it's got no relevance to him whether or not. We had all those penalties. Are we not going to win because we we got two penalties or three penalties? It, it just is bizarre. Um, and he, as you again, as you alluded to, while he's got the upper hand on us in terms of games won, etc., we kind of don't really have much of a comeback on it. But I'm, I'm hoping that as of Saturday, um, we kind of demolish that for him and just show it for what it is, which is just bitter pettiness that we won a game and they didn't. Stephen Gerrard hates talking to journalists about Rangers and he's the manager because he hates journalists. Mm. Could you imagine a journalist asking him a question about another team? He no, just, I, I, don't, I couldn't give two things. Weathering look would be given. I'm going to go for that that cat that came on the pitch <laughs> um, in Everton against Wolves because I later found out from the Wolves manager, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, that uh, it's that bad sounds like, That sounds like you were talking to him. Well, yeah. Yeah, beard tips and, and such like. Uh, he, uh, I like him because at first I, I was like, no, I'm not having that. Guy looks like a tramp. But I've later found out that he, he lives the gimmick. He smokes 60 fags a day. Uh, and apparently... Commits to it. Yeah, they were, they were having to basically rub nicotine patches on him during the... <laughs> during the... <laughs> Like the tense matches, and I love that about him. But uh, he said afterwards that uh, it's bad luck in Portugal just to see a black cat. And it turns out the Everton manager and people know I've got fondness for Everton. Well, he's Portuguese, isn't he? So yeah. it, it would that cat. He's got two Portuguese managers to bring bad luck to, and he gives it to the Everton one. Although a lot of it, I think, is to do with the fact that Marco Silva, as is increasingly becoming apparent, is a fucking myth, and uh, will be out in his arse soon. I don't. I don't um, want to. I don't want to give it to to the English market, but if you ever get if you get the chance, please uh, check out Paul Lindsay's recent comments about the fact that he could have done the same job that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done at Man United. Yeah, it's hilarious. He's actually had to write a follow up piece talking about the explanation of what he meant by saying I could do as good a job, which was well, I've managed in all four divisions. Yes, and you've failed spectacularly yes, in all of them, Paul. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, congratulations. I, I never understand that. I've managed at 18 clubs. Well, that means you've been sacked. <laughs> I, what was it he said? Everybody could see the problems that United had under Mourinho. Um, and it was quite easy to solve them, really. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's not champ manager, Paul. Um, but that'll be the next thing I'll be coming at. It's like, look at the season I'm having with him here on Football Manager. But but uh, I was slightly disappointed as well because it was uh, a, a cat on the pitch, whereas everybody knows that football hasn't been as good since you stopped seeing dogs on the pitch. Because even men with steel hearts love to see a dog on the pitch. So that was a slight disappointment. But I'll give it to Steve Clark because uh, he annoys me with his mumbling, staccato, strange sentences that he puts together. And yeah, fuck off, Steve. And tell tell Boyd as well. None of us give a fuck what anyone from Kilmarnock thinks about our club. So do one. Okay, folks, thank you very much for joining us. Just time to thank our executive producers in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Myers, to tell you that if you go to Heart and Hand's Patreon site, that's patreon.com heart and hand, that's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand, you'll be able to get up to five shows every single day on All Things Rangers, starting at just one ninety nine. Try it, you will absolutely love it. Thank you to my two guests in today, the wonderful Mr. Adam Thornton. 
Cheers, guys. The spectacular Mr. Cameron James Bell. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll be back on Thursday after the Aberdeen game. Till then, take care. Bye. Podcast Network.